the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Lovely to see you all here. We are very well aware that this is uh, student landing season. Uh, students arrive in city. So if you're here for the very first time this morning and a student, you're really, really welcome. Everyone's welcome all the time. Uh, but we just a little warm welcome to people who are here for the first time as well. Um, at the end, as Christine says, there's spaces. She said there were 40. There's actually 37 because I've just used three of them. Um, but please sign up at the end. We'd love to have a full house uh, today. As a church, uh, we spent the entirety of last year looking uh, Looking at John's Gospel. Don't panic, I haven't got it like, wrong. I, I know what we're doing now. Some of you are panicking already looking at that slide. I'll bring you back a year's back of memory. Um, we, we spent an entire year working through John's Gospel. What we try and do as a church is try to make sure we're balanced. This is a very, very big book. So what we're doing at the start of this term is we're spending seven weeks looking at an overview of the Old Testament. Now, for those of you who are here for the first time today, or even just in a church for the very first time uh, today, this book is divided into two sections. There's the Old Testament at the start, the New Testament at the end. The New Testament tells us about the life and death and resurrection of the greatest human being who ever lived and walked this planet, the Lord Jesus Christ. It also tells us about what happened after he rose again and how we can prepare for his return. Uh, The Old Testament, before Jesus came to this earth, uh, tells us about a God who created everything, created everyone, and loves everyone, and wants a relationship with us. And uh, we're going to be looking at the Old Testament uh, these next few weeks. Now, a couple of uh, weeks ago, when Simon introduced this series that we're looking at, he alluded to something that I think we can all feel at times, uh, which is this, the idea that the Old Testament can can feel a little difficult, and we can have a slight bias towards the New Testament. Hands up, that's, I'm guilty of that at times, got to be perfectly honest. The Old Testament can feel hard work, uh, and that kind of idea doesn't just come from within the church as well. It's it's like murmuring and uh, going outside into society as well. Uh, You may know this man, Richard Dawkins, who wrote the book The God Delusion. He had this to say about uh, the Old Testament. I've practiced this. Uh, The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infocidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomastic, capriciously malevolent bully. Tell us what you really think, Richard. Um, That's brutal. I need to say this straight away, I'll put that on screen, um, it's also completely untrue. That is just completely untrue. If you have read the Old Testament properly, you will find quite the reverse. Um, Krish Kandaya is a theologian, author, and all-round uh, good guy, and he said this in reply to Dawkins, Now's not the time to hide away, now's the time to set the record straight. The God of the Old Testament is these things. Creative, loving, just forgiving, patient, gracious, generous, liberating to women and men, the young and the elderly, the stranger, the disabled, the criminal and the outcast. We cannot remain silent while the world is hearing the libelous claims of those who misrepresent the Bible out of ignorance and anger. That, if you're new to us, is the God that we uh, love, worship, sing about and learn about each week. And that is the God of the Old Testament. And we are just going to spend these few weeks just reminding ourselves of those truths in the face of the world's lies. Now, if you're still sat there slightly unconvinced by the Old Testament, final shot before we go, 
Philip Yancey wrote the book, The Bible Jesus Read, the title it's based on. He said this, when we read the Old Testament, we read the Bible that Jesus read and used. These are the prayers Jesus prayed, the poems he memorised, the songs he sang, the bedroom stories he heard as a child, and the prophecies he pondered. He revered every jot and tittle of the Hebrew Scriptures. The more we comprehend the Old Testament, the more we comprehend Jesus. Here's the bottom line. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. Thank you. That was all my... Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, please help us this morning and throughout this series to understand more about you. We praise you and thank you that you are all those things from Chris's quote. You're creative, you're loving, just, forgiving. You're patient, gracious, generous, and so much more. Please help us this morning to understand this passage from the Old Testament better and ultimately comprehend Jesus better as a, as a result, we pray. Amen. Last week, Simon helped us with the first few pages of the Bible, Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And my job this morning is to zoom in on Genesis 12 and just the first three verses. Uh, you will know there is a gap between Genesis 2 and Genesis 12. So here's just what happened in, the, uh, in between that. Uh, in Genesis 3, after this perfect start of Genesis 1 and 2, we read about a thing called the fall, when humans turn their back on God. And the subsequent chapters uh, describe a series of human failures that actually call the entire uh, creation project into question. Uh, there's a basic cycle that happens in these, these chapters that goes from 3 to 11. You see, people get it wrong. People sin. They turn their back on God. When you turn your back on the creator and the maker of the universe who knows how everything works and is the person to follow, funnily enough, there are consequences for that. But then what we see in these situations is that then God rescues it. God redeems it. And you have this kind of cycle in Genesis 3 to 11. But it's a cycle that's kind of going down. Imagine like a, a wheel going down a hill. And right at the end of Genesis 11, we've seen people sin. We've seen people face consequences at Belmont. Uh, consequences at Babel, not Belmont. Um, wow. Was that on the live stream? Um, people sin, people face consequences at Babel, uh, but we don't get the redeeming bit. So right at the end of Genesis 11, there's no kind of uplift. And it feels like we're at a dead end. But then Genesis chapter 12 changes everything. Up until Genesis uh, 12, everything has been on a global scale. There's been creation, there's been the fall, there's the flood, there's Babel. Uh, but in Genesis 12, what happens is God's plan takes this local turn. Uh, and we're introduced to one individual. The story zooms in on modern-day Basra in Iraq and introduces us to a man called Abraham. Now, before I go any further, I just need to clarify this man's name. Uh, in the passage we're about to read, uh, we'll read he's called Abraham, and then if you followed it through in Genesis, you'd read that he's called Abraham. Uh, now, I don't have time to go into all the details of that. Very simply, Abraham means father. Uh, Abraham means father of many. Uh, if you want to remember that, here's an easier way. Uh, think of Abraham as daddy and Abraham, big daddy. Um, before we read in Genesis 12, um, God calls Abraham. Uh, we need to know about Abraham. Abraham, firstly, is not some flashy, high-flying chap. Okay, that's really, really important. We are introduced today to a very, very ordinary individual. He lived around 1800 BC. 
He's married to Sarah, and he and his family uh, would probably have been nomadic travellers. They would have lived in tents, moved around to find pasture for their animals. But in Genesis 12, God zooms in, and he gives these amazing promises to Abraham. And as we read these just three verses, uh, we're going to see the promises that God gives. Uh, And while we read it, just see if you can spot which is the word that appears most often in these three verses. It might surprise you. Here we go. Uh, The Lord has said to Abraham, I'm just going to call him Abraham. Abraham, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Just hold on that last little bit there. According to this promise, Abraham's family carries hope for all peoples on earth. Everybody. That's what it says. In other words, somehow, Abraham's family is kind of the launch of a divine plan to destroy evil and then to recover that original freedom that we read about in Genesis 1 and 2. Um, Abraham will become uh, the patriarch, literally the founding father of the nation of Israel. And from Israel will come the Messiah. And through the Messiah, God's going to launch a new humanity and a new creation. And all that's gone wrong with the world will eventually be resolved through this chosen family. And the rest of the Bible tracks these promises. Uh, John Stott died a few years ago, a famous theologian and author. He said this, It may be truly said, without exaggeration, that not only the rest of the Old Testament, but the whole of the New Testament are an outworking of these promises of God. So these three verses that we've just read are the text that the rest of the Bible expounds. Pretty important that we understand these three verses, I think, isn't it? If we want to get what's going on in the rest of the Bible. And in Genesis 12, we've seen uh, that God has given Abraham three promises, broadly speaking. Firstly, there was a promise of land. Did you spot that? I will give you a land. Abraham is commanded to leave his homeland and go to another land that God will show him. Promise one. Promise two was this, if you saw it in verse two. He's promised that Abraham's uh, descendants are going to become a great nation. They're going to be God's own people. And there's just something really important to note at this stage, because as God is making these promises to Abraham and his wife Sarah, they currently have the sum total of no children. That's not a good base to build a nation from. Uh, When we add in the fact that at this point Abraham is 75 years old and his wife is barren, uh, if I was Abraham, I might have some questions about that one, but, but there we go. But just to top it off, then God goes to Abraham. Promise of blessing. Um, if that's not enough for you, Abraham, your descendants will be blessed, and through them, all peoples on earth will be blessed. That is quite a set of promises to a 75-year-old man with no children. Uh, I don't know how you would react to that. I've had my guess, because we've got the internet now, I reckon it's one of those. Um, It's startling, isn't it? Those promises are are enormous and, quite frankly, mind-boggling, I think. Um, But if we were to read on just the very next few verses after Genesis 12, 1 to 3, here are the next words, literally, that we read. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him. That's a 
That's a great verse in itself. Later we read in chapter 15, verse 6, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited him, credited it to him as righteousness. Now I have to point out uh, that it wasn't all plain sailing. Abraham gets in a right pickle. I don't have time to go through all the chapters in Genesis. He makes loads of mistakes. But he does ultimately respond to God's call. And what I think makes those uh, makes these promises particularly hard and what Abraham did particularly impressive is the word that appeared most often in the passage. Did you spot it? What was it? It was the word will. Appeared eight times. I will make you a nation. I will give you a land. I will make you a blessing. Will, 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 will. God doesn't go, I'll give you a land and here's the postcode to pop into you before Christ sat now. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I'm going to make you a nation and here's the route map. He just says, I'm going to do it. And that's, um, that's what makes Genesis 15:6 all the more impressive, doesn't it? That Abraham believed the Lord. Now sometimes uh, when I speak, uh, many of you will be happy I haven't done this this morning. I will start by telling a story. And as I build the story to a dramatic conclusion, I'll then go... I'll tell you what happened a little bit later on. And uh, at that moment, there's this enormous groan in this place. It's horrible. Uh, no one's ever thrown anything at this moment, which is good. Um, but what I will do is, I, my, I think my track record says is I always complete the story. I, I will return to it. If I didn't, I think I wouldn't get out. But um, I, I, always, I always finish it. But that's being patient for about 20 minutes or so. With Abraham... He has much less clarity, and he has a much bigger time gap. I'll give you a land, says God. Where is it? Well, I'll show you later, says God. I'm going to make you into a great nation, says God. Well, hey, I'm 75. She can't have killed. How are you doing? I'll show you later. Later in the story, a child does miraculously arrive. God always follows on his promises. Uh, And when Isaac arrives, God says, take your son Isaac up that hill and sacrifice him. What? Hang hang on, God. Genesis 12. You gave me this promise of being a nation. Uh, We didn't have a child and then we have a child. What? I'll show you later what's going on, Abraham. Abraham takes all of God's I'll show you laters. And what he does is he simply trusts them. That's pretty amazing. How does he do it? How does Abraham do something like that? Here's the question for us. How do we do something like that, potentially? How do we um, stick in? How do we keep going? Well, just want to lean once again on a guy called John Scott. He said this about this. He said, as Abraham contemplated his age and contemplated uh, Sarah's barrenness, he neither turned a blind eye to these problems nor underestimated them. But he reminded himself of God's power and faithfulness. Faith always looks at the problems in the light of the promises. That last sentence is key, isn't it? Faith always looks at the problems in the light of the promises. That's key for Abraham, that's key for us if we want to follow God's call. Every single one of us in this room, right now, we will be facing some challenges, I'm sure. There will be some enormous challenges in this space. There will be um, problems uh, beyond... There'll be problems, hello, there'll be problems. 
and I have no idea what those problems are for you. There will be the relationship that is in tatters in this space. There will be the job that seems impossible. There will be the course that has started badly. There will be the boss, the lecturer or teacher who is just unfair to me. There will be the family that doesn't get on. There will be the loved one who is ill. There will be the child that is wayward. And I'm sure that many of these situations we'll have prayed about, we'll be confused about and we'll question God. And God will seem to have replied, well, I'll show you later. And that's really difficult. I'll run back. The story of Abraham, in fact, the whole of the Old Testament and the New Testament, show a God who is utterly faithful. It shows a God who always, always keeps his promises. And the God that we're reading about from Genesis is the same God today. He is utterly faithful. He has promised all of us that he'll be with us all the time. He will never leave or forsake us. He knows our capabilities. He knows our, our, our weaknesses. He sympathises with them. There is nothing going on right now in our lives that God doesn't know about or that takes him by surprise. And there's nothing round the corner that will do the same either. Whatever comes our way, he will remain faithful and he'll be with us in our struggles. I'll show you my struggle. Uh, my struggle and my prayer has been this for a while. Lord, I've been in my current job and place for a long time. I think it's time you move me on. I'm tired. And the reply I seem to be getting is this. Currently, Johnny, you're in the place I want you to be. And I'll show you later while you're there. And that's pretty frustrating, got to be honest. But in the light of his promises, do you know what? I can cope. It balances out. Uh, I've personally been helped by this quote from a guy called Warren Wiersbe. Um, Remain where God has put you until he tells you to move. You're safer in a famine in his will than in a palace out of his will. And that's the question for us. What does it mean to see our problems in the light of God's promises? You see, Abraham responded to God's call even though he didn't have every bit of a jigsaw. He took his family halfway across the Middle East based on a promise without a deposit and that's faith. Looking at problems in the light of promises. And because of God's faithfulness, what we read in the rest of Genesis is, is someone who lived a bold life. Absolutely got it wrong. But he went for it, Abraham. The, the handbrake is off. He throws caution to the wind and he responds to the call of God. And please don't forget that Abraham is an ordinary human being like you and like me. He's not some superman. He had faith, though, in an extraordinary God. Um, this man is coming to speak at our weekend away in January in Newquay, Andrew Ollerton. Brilliant individual. It's going to be brilliant. Don't miss that. He once said this. He said, it's not the size of our faith, but the faithfulness of God that matters. And here's a question again for us this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you know that God is faithful, if you know that God keeps his promises, if you know that God loves you, if you know that he gave Jesus to die, rise again, if you know the peace, security and joy that Jesus brings now and in the future, can we respond to God's call in a radical way just like Abraham did? What, could we this week just go for it? What, what do I mean by that? Well, Alpha starting on Tuesday. Can we all invite someone? Um, if you're a student, why don't you invite your flatmate or a housemate or coursemate to ECU Central? Uh, at work this week, 
when you get in on Monday uh, and the talks about the weekend, uh, I have this tendency to talk about the football. I'm going to talk about church. I'm going to talk about, oh, we talked about this guy, Abraham, he's amazing, but more amazing than Abraham is this faithful God uh, that I love and serve. Um, it's Baptism Sunday on 5th of November. Why not? Come along to the baptism course in a few weeks. It's Membership Sunday on 12th November, why not? We've got youth work, children's work, toddler work, social projects, uh, all sorts of things. Why not give it a go? Why not go for it? I have this fear, I'm going to have to run again now, that sometimes uh, Christians can live quite a cautious life. That we can, um, rather than going for it, all those sort of things like invite people to things or get stuck in, we go, oh, I'm going to leave it a week or two. And uh, we'll see how things settle, and, and then we'll, then we'll have reconsider it. And that week turns into two weeks, turns into a month, turns into a year, and so on. The question is, if you're a follower of Jesus, what have you got to lose? Seriously, what have you got to lose? There's absolutely no reason for us not to live bold lives. If God is for us, who can be against us? All Romans 8, if, and nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. Abraham led this bold life because of his and our brilliant God. Can we do the same? Can we just go for it? One of those challenges about the Old Testament is like, how is it relevant to me? Hopefully you've spotted this morning how this is relevant to me. If, it hadn't, if you haven't, that's my fault. I'll, I'll one more go. Uh, Genesis 12, this is not merely for the benefit of Abraham. We spotted that. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham gets the promise, but we're all beneficiaries of this promise. And the promises are for you and for me uh, right now. All people will be blessed through Abraham. Back in 2016, the headline of our year as a church uh, was this. It was blessed to be a blessing. We spent a year basically thinking about these three verses. And if I could summarise the year, I think it was this. God's blessings are meant to be shared, not hoarded. God says, I will bless you so you can be a blessing. I can't leave. God fills us up so we can fill others up. That's what's going on. This is like a prototype for how blessings work. One final thing for you. We're meant to, with our blessings, uh, pass them on. But unfortunately, that's not always the case. And not all followers of Jesus have a tendency to do that all of the time. We can sometimes view our blessings as uh, being blessed as for our own happiness, for our comfort, for our security. That's not the model of blessing. The model of blessing is here in Genesis 12, verses 3. Uh, uh, the plan is this, God blesses Abraham so that God's uh, other one can be a blessing. When we receive God's blessings, what we've got to do is immediately look to pass them on somewhere. And that's the model for it. It's not, if God has blessed you with gifts and money and time and resources... He didn't just give them to you for your sake. Pass them on. That's the model we learn in, the, in Genesis 
And we need to be a blessing. Now, I need to finish. Um, uh, if I had more time, we'd look into this and you could have discussions on this. But um, out of the three promises, uh, which do you think is the most important? You know, which was like the critical promise there? Now, we won't discuss it. I'm going to tell you what I think. Uh, I think that one is the critical promise. Uh, to be a blessing to everyone, to inhabit a land, you need a nation, don't you? You need to have a nation. And in the moment of Genesis 12, that's not going to happen, is it? No children, 75-year-old man, barren wife. It's not going to happen. Actually, everything in this passage comes back to the promise of a son, doesn't it? Abraham knew it. Sarah knew it. God knew it. For Genesis 12, and this ultimately to come about, there needed to be an act of miraculous grace. And when we read on in Genesis, we find one. I've alluded to him earlier. Isaac is born. Sarah gives birth to Isaac. And what happens is the son made what seemed impossible possible. I'll say that again. The son made what seemed impossible possible. You may be sat there as I've messed around with this thing this morning going, yeah, I hear all that, but it is really difficult to be a blessing. It's really difficult to be bold. Where do I turn to for my inspiration? Well, let me remind you, the son made what seemed impossible, possible. Shall we just move that motif forward a couple of thousand years a second? Just like Abraham, Jesus had a call. He was told to go too, wasn't he? He was told to leave his father's house. We're going to sing these words at the very end of our service. We're going to have communion in a moment. We're going to sing a couple of songs. But in the last song, we're going to sing these words. We're going to sing that he, Jesus, he left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace. He emptied himself of all but love, and he bled for Adam's helpless race. See what Jesus did. Abraham responded to the call in Genesis 12. Jesus did too. He left his house. Jesus' house was the ultimate house, wasn't it? He had the ultimate security in heaven, and he followed his father's call. Why did he do that? Why did Jesus follow the father's call? He did it for you, and he did it for me, quite simply. He lived the life that we couldn't live. He died the death we couldn't die. And Jesus changes everything. So if you want inspiration to be a blessing, if you want an example and a saviour to follow, it's the Lord Jesus. And when we know how much Jesus loves us and what he's done for us, we'll be able to trust God when God seems to say, I'll show you later. We'll be able to live bold lives, safe in the knowledge that Jesus has accomplished so much through his death and his resurrection. And you know what? We'll be able to share our blessings in the knowledge of all the brilliant promises of God. I'll leave you with this. There's the scales in all its glory. Can we look at our, prom- our problems in the light of God's promises and the brilliance of Jesus? Can we live more bold lives knowing that we are completely secure? Are we secure now and we're secure in the future? And can we take all the blessings that God gives us, time, money, resources, gifts, you name it, and use them to bless other people? What would happen if every single person in this room and online did that? If the scales tilted for everybody this week? Just a fraction. And if it tilted a bit more the next week as well. I have this theory that schools, 
colleges, campuses, town centres, homes, friends, families and neighbours, you name it, would be utterly transformed. And who would they be transformed by? They'd be transformed by the God of the Old Testament, who is creative, loving, just, forgiving, patient, and utterly faithful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, so much that you are a God who keeps his promises. There'll be people here right now who it will feel like you, 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 you might not be keeping your promises, Lord. And the reply is, I'll show you later. Please, please, please help all of us to see our problems in the light of your glorious promises. Thank you that you're faithful. Father, because you're faithful and because of all you've done, please help us to be bold. We don't want to get old and have regrets of being cautious and what if. Father, help us to go for it. Whatever it is that's on hearts and minds you're placing right now, be it Alpha, be it service, be it baptism, whatever. Father, help us all to be bold. And also help us to be a blessing. Father, thank you that you have given us so much. Father, it's lovely to hear about the way that uh, this, this fellowship was blessing Paul and family out. But we pray that we're a blessing everywhere, absolutely overseas, also in this country as well, and everywhere we go. Father, thank you for who you are. Please help us to respond appropriately, to share the story and live the life.